Life Coach podcast, where we speak life, coach life, write life, and lead life. Today, I'm joined in the podcast studio by Ambar Maceo. Ambar, welcome to the show. Thank you, Derek. I'm so humbled to be here. All right. Well, I'm excited to connect with you, to converse with you, and to learn a little bit about your journey. For all of our podcast listeners, I want you to know a little bit about Ambar. She is a Dominican attorney and the founder of Maceo Law PC, a Massachusetts-based law firm specializing in criminal defense. She's made it her personal mission to help bridge the gap between the criminal justice system and the people it serves and to elevate the voices of underrepresented communities. Ambar, what inspired you to become an attorney? Well, um, I don't think there is one story that inspired me. You know, when I was in prime, like elementary school, the equivalent to elementary school, I said I was going to be an actress. And, you know, one would say it's not that far off from where I ended up being. <laughs> <laughs> but um, shortly after, I, for different reasons, I didn't think that was a viable, a viable option. And I said, oh, you know, I think I'm going to be an attorney. And that was, I'm talking about middle school. So since middle school, I knew I was going to be an attorney. I never took any tests, any proficiency things. I knew what I was going to be. When I've been asked this question in the past, it caused me to do some introspect and to really think about, oh, what really inspired me? And I've come to learn that it's probably my intolerance to injustice. Mm. I was always the one who would just talk back at you if you were treating someone poorly or unfairly or you know call you off on your bullying mm -hmm. <laughs> those sort of things that gave me you know cost me the reputation of having a blonde personality mm -hmm. uh, so I think thinking back maybe that was always in me and that's mm -hmm. what I believe could be the underlying inspiration for me being an attorney today wow I love that I think we took that quote you just said intolerance of injustice I, th I think we all might need a little bit a little dose of or maybe a ma big dose of being intolerant for injustice I love that component I think so too it's uh everybody should be start doing it mm -hmm. <laughs> tolerate injustice in any form <laughs> sure absolutely now a part of your um your journey is you you're even licensed um in the bar in um com in a complete unique place R remind me where else you, you are you, you're licensed for the, for the bar so i'm licensed in the dominican republic that's, that's where i i grew up in the dr i studied there i worked there i only immigrated to the us it's gonna be 10 years ago next year so i'm fairly new if you may <laughs> in u.s practice um and then i went to argentina to do some uh, legal education so I'm I've been all over the place and finally well I came to live in Massachusetts due to my marriage and here I am <laughs> wow I, I love that I think that's a detail I've yet to see I've interviewed between 25 and 30 other Latina attorneys and I think that detail of being um, licensed in the bar in the Dominican Republic is a detail I've yet to see so that makes you it certainly gives you a unique um, uh, flavor to what you do in the law. Absolutely, absolutely. It's I, I found that too, you know, I've met wonderful attorneys and Latino attorneys and uh, from attorneys from all over the world here. But the majority of immigrants that I found uh, came here when they were little. So they went to law school here and it's sort of a different experience. 
uh, than when you come as an adult with several years behind your back and to start over. It's certainly mm -hmm. quite interesting to say the least. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Now, what do you enjoy most about being an attorney? So I think what I enjoy most is to be able to use my power and my privilege to help other people. I, you know, I never thought of myself as someone with power or with privilege. Uh, and then I came to live in the U.S. and I realized how privileged I was in the DR. You know, I was provided for everything. I was given everything. I thankfully and thanks to God and my parents, I never had to struggle uh, with anything. And then I came here to sort of like start over on my own. And I realized, wow, you know, I not only have I been privileged, but I continue to be privileged. The fact that I was able to accredit my education and to get licensed here speaks to that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm more aware of that. And I'm, I am using that to help other people, to be other people's voices. When I mm. see, especially minorities out there who don't necessarily speak the language, don't know how to navigate the legal system or any, you know, quite frankly, sometimes I have clients who need me to call, I don't know, the doctor's office for them. Mm -hmm. And just being able to do that, even if it's not necessarily within the legal spectrum, uh, makes me feel proud and, and happy and humble to have this profession. Yes, I like that. You're giving us some great pearls and jewels to, to hold yeah. on to, to use power, the power we have and the privilege we have in service to other people. Um, I love the notion because I think anybody who's listening in, whether you're an attorney listening in or you're um, in it, virtually any, I think there's, there's power almost everywhere. If you understand your, your own situation, like, as you mentioned, the introspection to understand the power and the privilege we have and to see that as an opportunity to be able to serve others. I, I love that you captured that notion. Certainly, certainly. I think, you know, that's the goal. I, like you said, in everything, you don't have to be an attorney. I feel like everybody's powerful in their own way. We just have to mm -hmm. find that inner power and project it and use it to the good. <laughs> yes, yes. Now you brought up your parents and I'm always curious about attorneys and their parents. And, <laughs> and, I, and we probably could do a whole podcast on it. And, but, um, and, I, and I think that's a whole another series I've been, I've been dreaming about, thinking about. Now tell Especially me a little parents. <laughs> Say again. Say again. Especially Latino parents. Right, right. So, so tell me, uh, give us a little glimpse of the parents. I mean, if the parents, you know, what did they do? If, if you can attribute anything they did to help you become an attorney, what would you pinpoint that really that they did or how they how they raised you that helped you to become an attorney? You know, I don't think they're aware of this, but my I have wonderful parents. I love them both. And I feel like if, if I speak to my mom, like I've never met someone as kind and as compassionate as my mom. She's the kind of person who sees the good in everything. If you harm her, doesn't matter. She will be the first one out there to help you when you need it the most. Wow. So from her, I take, I aspire to be at least half of what she is, you know, in her kindness, her demeanor, her compassion. And I take that very, uh, you know, I feel very strongly about that as part of my, one of my pillars of my career and the area that I developed, which is criminal defense, has a lot to it. You know, mm -hmm. you, one needs to be very compassionate about other people, the circumstances surrounding any situation and be kind to others. So I would, I think that without knowing, without anybody knowing, I think that got instilled in me and helped me prepare. And from my dad, it's just an aptitude of service. 
like no other. Mm -hmm. He is a doctor and I couldn't think of any, you know, of a profession more fitted to a human being than medicine to my dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, you know, similarly, the first person you would call for anything, regardless mm -hmm. of whether or not it's part of his specialty, you will call him, he'll be there. So I feel that, you know, that integrity, that service, that kindness and compassion, I take all of those values from my parents and very proudly so. Oh, I love that. I, I love the the uh, characteristics. And I know I'm going to ask you later about your favorite qualities of your favorite people. So I hope I didn't um, interfere with any of those qualities. But <laughs> but, but I, I, I love hearing about the parenting and the small investments or ways that they that they really it's like an imprint of who they are on their children to see you um clearly you are you you overflow with gratitude you know you're a humble person and then but you also clearly with your profession you're a high achiever so yeah. i think those components i think are always fascinating to me to dig behind the scenes to figure out you know um how the parents were able to you know empower you on in your journey of your um your your career yeah, absolutely. And I don't think they, you know, they even realized my parents were the kind that they never suggested any potential career. Like I was free to choose whatever I wanted. I know maybe my dad deep down wanted me to become a gastroenterologist, but <laughs> he, never, he never said anything. So it was like, whatever you want to do, that's fine. You know, education was number one thing in my house. That was my job. So I was raised in that environment. So I knew I had to do something. Mm, yes. <laughs> Career-wise, education is very important in my family. But mm. other than that, I was free to choose the path that I wanted. Sure. Now, so is he a gastroenterologist? He is, is a gastroenterologist. Ah, I see. <laughs> my, my wife is a, is a nurse in gastroenterology. So oh, I'm, I'm familiar with the... Um, I, that's like the, one of the few areas of the medical terms. Like, oh, I actually know that one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I used to work with my dad when I was growing up uh, as his secretary. Go <laughs> mm -hmm. with him to hospital, so I'm very familiar with the terminology. And <laughs> yes, you know it's interesting. You you mentioned that because I, I I'm I'm fascinated by um, like as I mentioned um, the background of successful people like yourself, and then you mentioned that you worked with him, and and it's it's interesting as I've as I'm always curious about how much successful people, maybe, you know, your, your dad will, will put the doctor and the highly successful people, how much they have their children working, because I've seen them, like, sometimes outside looking and you think that the children of, of highly successful people don't work. But I, I've seen actually the opposite where like, no, they, they get their children working early on, they want them to build this work ethic. And, and is that the way it was for you? So yes and no, you know, I feel like I, for me, it was all for fun. I was never required to do anything in terms of like, oh, you have to work. But my parents come from humble beginnings, both of them. My mom worked like both of them worked since they were in their teens. And growing up, I always saw my mom working and my dad working. And, you know, and I, I learned their stories behind, you know, how my dad used to work for his family's little business as well. And he put himself through med school, etc. So when it was my time, I feel like I perhaps I was just bored in the house and he was out of a secretary and he brought me in and I loved it. I just felt like I transcribed things for them. They didn't have like modern computers back then. So it was like all the machine, <laughs> the writing machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was very, it was fascinating. The only mm -hmm. thing that I did not like was that my dad would see everybody for free. So 
<laughs> so that wow. in my in my you know in my child's mind, I was like, how are we going to live if you're not charging people? He's like, oh, he cannot pay right now. He, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think there's there's a lot of nobility in that. So let, let's segue back to um, actually, I wanted to ask you also about your your multiple languages. So you got. <laughs> Um, so there's French, Portuguese, Spanish, English, and I think you you mentioned in your your longer biography that um, one of them you 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 uh, probably could 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 use some you know refining or brushing up on, but um but, but tell me tell me a little bit more about like how you ended up learning you know these four languages. Yeah, so Spanish is my native tongue, and I lived in the DR until very recently, so mm -hmm. I, I I was born with that. Uh, English was the one that my family put me through because everybody needs to learn English because the U.S., you know, it's a first world country and it's like the one of the most uh, spoken languages. So I, my parents decided that I had to go to learn English. I hated it. I hated it. If, if someone had told me that I would end up living in the U.S., I would have said, wait, no, no way. <laughs> but I went on to, you know, to learn some English and then I per per perfected it, obviously, after I had mm. to come here and practice and being from judges. Mm -hmm. um, and then French, I always loved. So that was a passion for me. And also uh, in the Dominican Republic, the legal system comes from the French. So I, th I view that as, oh, you know, I need to learn that because I need to be able to read those books in, you know, those books in French. And mm -hmm. I love that. I learned it. I could use a refresher because if you don't practice, it mm -hmm. sort of like goes away. I went to Montreal a couple of years ago and I was able to just speak a little bit, but I, I realized, oh, okay, maybe I need a refresher. Mm -hmm. Portuguese, on the other hand, it's nothing that I formally uh, studied, mm -hmm. uh, but my mom did. Because my mom, that is my mom's passion. She loves Brazil. She wants to be there and go there forever. So mm. she studied the language and she became a professor. Oh. So I would hear her. She listens to Brazilian music. So I always had that in me. And when I went to Argentina for my master's degree, I took, I think, one or two courses. And then here in my, before criminal defense, I used to do workers' comp. So I had a lot of Brazilian clients and it just like flew naturally. Mm -hmm. And I just became very conversational. <laughs> nice. I love it. I love, I love the versatility. I love it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now, so to go back to the, the, the attorney um, um, questions, yeah. um, how did you decide to focus on criminal defense? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about that on my way here mm -hmm. <laughs> and it, that's so it's a similar story to what inspired me to go to law school in the first place I feel like when I thought in my you know middle school uh, mind of the law professor the legal profession I thought of a courtroom so I feel like that's what you see in the news and you know that always piqued my curiosity mm -hmm. but I think there was there were two moments where I said oh you know I really want to know what happens in that setting, which was the criminal uh, law setting. One was the O.J. Simpson trial. <laughs> and that was, you know, 1995. I don't know, I must have been 12 years old or so. Uh, and I remember, you know, from not, not, a, not a, none of it was broadcasted internationally, but the verdict day was. 
and also the pursuit of him. So that was like a very high profile case. And I was sort of like peeking and trying to understand. And I remember when the verdict came in, I was like, I just cannot understand why he was found not guilty um, after all the things that I read in the news. So that, I was always very curious about the mechanics on, on how that worked. And, and I knew, even though I didn't know how deeply, but I knew that had other ramifications and implications back then. And then the following year, there was another big case that was a local case in the DR, a horrific crime um, of a 12 or 13 year old child. So he was one year younger than I was at the time. And that caused you know, the outrage of the, of the country. And that was a broadcasted trial as well. And I saw that trial. I was, you know, again, middle school, but I saw it and it was very different from the OJ trial. We don't have trial by jury in the Dominican Republic. So I got to see the two differences and I became even more curious. And I feel like at that, I feel like those years were pivotal moments in my turning over to the criminal law side. Mm -hmm. By the time I went to law school, I, I knew I was going to be doing criminal law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yes. Wow. Um, it is just the power. I mean, sometimes we think that, you know, what, what we see on TV or what we see in the news, that doesn't make a difference. But I think we, we look at, you know, your life and your career. I mean, those, those cases being broadcasted and shown absolutely have shifted and shaped your world and your life. Absolutely. They did. <laughs> now, what has been one challenge uh, you faced as an attorney? and have overcome? Well, I think the biggest challenge that I faced was to start over. When I came to the US, I had you know, nothing, no experience, no bar. I had no idea how to start over. I was 20, how, how old I am? <laughs> I, I was 27 years old or so, um, recently married. So it was very challenging. I thought about switching careers altogether. I'm like, I just can't really go through law school again. How am I going to do that? Um, I ended up not having to go to law school again, but I had to do one year of law school uh, and take the bar exam, which in it by itself is like a huge hurdle. Mm -hmm. uh, also, you know, in English. But I feel like that has been that whole scenario, not just taking the bar or just going to school again, but starting over, starting the career over after having, uh, I don't know, six to eight years experience in my country where I thought, okay, maybe at my, at my 37, I'm going to be in a much different position. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but because I just went back 10 years, I have to <laughs> take it one step at a time. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I think that when I think about that experience, what it reminds me of is somebody who's who put their ego to the side to the side and said, you know what, like even going back to law school, you know, again, putting the ego to the side and going, all right, I'll be a student once again. I'll go through the process once again. And you'll be a student long enough, as they talk about becoming a student long enough to become the teacher or the master once again. And I think that's what you went through. I think that's such a powerful uh, uh story and perspective of what you went through there 
It is, and it's funny that you mentioned the word ego because I was gonna mention, I kind of refrain myself, but it's it's exactly what it is. It's just, you have to overcome that ego that, oh, you know, you were, or at least I thought I was pretty good at what I did back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I had, uh, you know, world of opportunity. And then I came here and it was just starting over again. And maybe I wasn't as young. Well, I wasn't as old as, as the other law students because in the DR law school is an undergrad. So I had that going on <laughs> for mm. me. But it's just like start over again, put your feelings aside, your ego aside, be humble enough to know that you need to relearn everything mm-hmm. in order to succeed, move on or do what you have to do. Yes. And, I, and again, like to, to the universal principle of that notion, um, any amount of success that comes in our world, I see that as an obstacle people can face because it's like, okay, well, I've achieved this level of success now. Well, that's fine. That's great. Now you might stay there, but if you want to go to that next level, it's, it's back to even what you said of, of being a student once again. And even I've, 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 uh, I've captured this notion as well. Um, even culturally speaking, culturally speaking, being okay, asking questions, looking uninformed for a minute if it means i won't stay uninformed for a lifetime but being willing to ask the, the questions that might not might make me look uninformed but being okay with that and again i think that applies to any of our listeners tuning in that be okay being the student so that you can continue to grow up and go up in your career or in your life that's right and you know i think you never cease to be the student I think you are, there's always room for, for improvement. You constantly, you know, this is a, a lifetime of learning and growing. And when, for example, it serves me and, and hopefully it'll serve the audience as well. When I feel like I'm stuck or like I haven't accomplished anything, all I have to do is just look back and think about where we started. Mm-hmm. And it's you know, step by step. Sometimes when you're in the grind, in the struggle, you don't really see it, but it, you know, there are things that you accomplish. Yes. Yes. I, I love the look back concept. I think there's so much to learn from looking back and seeing what helped us uh, get ahead before, um, especially at that learning component, looking back and, you know, even if we look back to when we were children, like when, when, when we were, ex- when we were expanding the most as children was, we was, we were exploring, we were learning, we were asking questions. Um, and the, and the, the ideas we could get away from that exploring, learning and asking questions, um, as as we get older, or as we have more success, but I I love the concept you mentioned of being a forever student and a forever learner. That's right. <laughs> now, what is one challenge other you've seen other attorneys face, and what do you think is a great solution to that challenge? I think it all revolves. We're gonna go back to the same conversation you were having. The challenge is ego, and mm-hmm. what helps us is to ask questions. And unfortunately, you know, this is uh, at least in, I, I'm in Massachusetts and the state, and I'm sure it's true for many other states, the legal profession is still, uh, you know, white folks, uh, white men kind of profession. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and those kind of uh, um, folks don't necessarily, are not necessarily comfortable asking questions or looking like they don't know everything. And the reality is that you don't have to know everything. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, the the legal system and evolves as the world evolves, and we are constantly studying, educating ourselves, and asking questions. So I feel like that is a struggle for a lot of my colleagues, 
thinking that they know everything and because they do, they don't have to ask questions. They don't have to take any advice from, any, from anybody. They can figure it out on their own. I've been guilty of that myself because you, you know, either you don't want to bother anyone else or you want to, or you feel like, well, you get paid to know it all. But I've come to learn that, you know, this is a wonderful community. The legal profession is a wonderful profession. And, 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 and my, my bar, criminal defense bar is wonderful. And there are so many people uh, to who you can reach out, mentors, uh, get informed, get advice, confer some cases, you know, within the ethical appropriate limits uh, mm -hmm. and, and move on. I think that helps us, that help everybody grow. In mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I, one, um, I'm going to say, I love what you said. Part of it is because of what I do as a coach, which is that third party person to, you know, to the team and getting a chance to help people to, um, um, to be successful. But, but even what you just, what you just described, um, one fundamental area that, that is almost like a prerequisite for me working with people is people being willing to grow and change and being willing to have a mentor, no matter who they are, no matter how successful they are, but to continue to find mentors that are ahead of you so they can continue to help you, whether that's somebody who's 40 years ahead and they're retiring. Okay. Well, how did they make it 40 years? I remember I was in a, a coaching session with the, one of my clients for a law firm in Texas. And, and, and we were talking about the same idea and she, and, and part of our session was f figuring out somebody who's retiring as an attorney, ask them how they did it for 40 or 50 years. And then just take one piece of insight that they give you and then practice it. And then, and the advice came back was they planned vacations three to four times a year. Okay. So then next time we got together, it was all right. It's one thing to hear that and learn it. It's another thing to implement it. And again, I didn't create the advice. I said, go, go talk to an attorney who's, who's, who's shown that they can do it for 40 years. And anyway, but, but that would have been impossible if somebody said, I don't want to grow. I don't want to learn. I don't want to ask other people for input. But anyway, I, I love what you're what you're describing there. Well, it's just that that's right on, and this is a very lonely profession. People don't think that don't think it that way, especially for those of us who have smaller offices or solo practice. It can get very lonely. You have a huge responsibility on your shoulders, and you really need to reach out. So mm -hmm. that would be my my best advice: keep reaching out. <laughs> yes, keep reaching out. I love that. Now, um, for you. What has been the best way to grow your client base for your law firm? I think, you know, it's been mostly providing information. That's what I found it's worked for me. I, I have people from all over the place and sometimes they come to me asking questions and they want some consultation and I just give them the information they need without any expectation that I will make a business. Maybe this is not the best business advice, <laughs> but I found that those people tend to come back one way or the other. They either end up needing your services or they know someone who needs your services and say, you know what, this person helped me out without really pushing me to sign anything or, or, without, or without knowing if there was a case here. So I think that person has my best interest at heart. Mm, and yes. there is, I, I like to think that there is some um, 
honesty in what I am doing and, and that I truly care for, you know, I don't necessarily do it for the business, but I've noticed that as a really good marginal benefit that has come from, from that. Just yes. sharing information, sharing the pie. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. Well, I think of the abundance mentality that, that is in that space where it's not, um, you know, hoarding the information, but giving it away. Um, but to your point about how great that actually is for business. Um, one thing that, in my, my coaching sessions with all the business owners that I work with, especially those that are involved with, you know, doing the business, but then they're involved in marketing and, and getting clients. Um, there's, a, there's one book that I base my content on, um, and it's the number one book on Amazon for marketing. It's the number one book for marketing and consumer behavior. And it's one of the top, I think, 10 books for selling. But one of the six principles in that book by Robert Cialdini is what you just said, um, he calls it reciprocity, but it's the skill of what you're just describing. It's the skill of generosity. And it's the, the concept that people who find ways to give for free over and over again, the, whether not, not just the universe, but even objectively speaking in the, um, and uh, he, he studied it um, academically and it, academic, from an academic perspective, people are most likely to be persuaded by someone who has given to them first. So you grow in your influence as you give it away. So anyway, I, I know you mentioned, you're not sure if it's a, it's a great business principle. I think it's a phenomenal right. business principle to be sure. giving. And it's clear that that's the way that you've been able to grow your client base. That's right. That's, you know, and I feel comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. so. I'm okay yeah. with that. I just need to find the time to give more. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Now, um, for someone who is just starting their law firm, what advice would you would you give to that person who is just starting out? Hmm. Well, get a mentor. Yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid to ask questions and be patient. I think those would be my three advices. You know, this takes time. Uh, sometimes it feels like you're not, like we spoke uh, earlier, like you're not accomplishing enough or that you should be in a different position in your career. But as long as you're doing what you love and you feel like you're impacting lives and doing, you know, making a difference in someone's lives, then just hang in there, have faith and things will come around. <laughs> mm, I love it. I love it. Um, uh, I, I love the concept of being patient because it, it, any business owner knows like you, early on, you just want clients, you know, like, please like give me, you know, you know, you're praying or thinking and wishing like, please clients come into the door. And sometimes for a period of time, they're not, especially, you know, we're in a pandemic and mm -hmm. people are in some ways are more hesitant to spend money than, than before. So then like that could somewhat shrink the client base. I know I went through that period where a lot of my clients were like, Ooh, like, um, maybe I'll cut, you know, the coaching budget um, for a time period as they're figuring out if their business is going to shrink or even fail. Um, but, I, but I think that's a it's fantastic input to be patient with the process, to keep investing, to keep giving, and eventually um, the results will show up. That's right. And, you know, I feel like it, I, I've been guilty of that, you know, being impatient sometimes. And um, what I found is that, in the time that things are not happening according to our own standards, 
we can take that time to educate ourselves, to keep ourselves informed on the latest developments, to share some knowledge, because all of a sudden what I've seen happen, and it's happened to me as well, is that you're just waiting for that client, waiting for any client, mm-hmm. and the client comes at the door and you're like, oh, I've never seen this kind of case before. What do I do now? <laughs> So nowadays, I just find something useful to do with my time while I wait. Mm. <laughs> that happens. Yes, yes. I think that the, the opportunity to grow yourself and to pre, to get more prepared um, for when those opportunities come. Somebody, I think one of my mentors along the way, incidentally enough, he was also from Massachusetts. He told me when opportunity is knocking at the door, it's too late to prepare. And so prepare before opportunity starts knocking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, um, what has helped you establish work-life balance as an attorney? That's a work in progress, <laughs> especially now. I have a three-year-old, so that's definitely a work in progress. But I'm working on setting limits and being okay with that. And the second part of that is the hardest for me. Um, for example, I, you know, I don't feel like I have to work on the weekends. Mm -hmm. I am planning to work during my week. As you know, you know, and every business owner who is listening now, we work around the clock, you know, because somebody has to do it. So it's not just, especially those of us with smaller uh, endeavors, it's not just the legal work, but it's also the business management side, Mm -hmm. the billing, the accounting, a little bit of everything, plus the life. So I'm constantly working and I feel like my family deserves at least, you know, a full weekend of myself, of Mm -hmm. availability. Um, Sometimes, uh, especially in litigation uh, areas that can get hard if you have a trial coming up uh, that starts on Monday, then there's always some last minute prep or nervousness that gets in the way. But as long as you make that a have, you know, the exception and not the rule, I think that helps. I'm working on it again, so I can tell you it's completely perfect for me, mm-hmm. but I am trying to set up those limits and I find that my clients are adapting to that. So they know, mm-hmm. you know, not to call me on the weekends or, or they can call, but they're just going to get the machine. Yes. And if it's an emergency, they will tell me it's an emergency and I will absolutely call them back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. If it's not, they know, okay, the office is closed or, or, you know, I'll just wait until the next business day. This can wait. And that is okay. And you have to be okay as a professional um, setting up those limits for yourself. Yes, I love that. I love the limits, the boundaries um, that are set up in those places. Um, One, um, because it helps you not just be successful a year from now, but it helps you be successful 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now. And especially in in the profession, as you know, sometimes um, you can be exposed over and over again to the worst parts of life, to the ugly of life. Mm -hmm. And then to be able to have time where you separate yourself from your career, from your, from your, from your job. And I, the detail I really like you that you said too, you said, um, if you're going to work during the weekend, that's going to be the exception as opposed to the rule. And I think those great boundaries are going to help you to continue to replenish and recharge and go for as, as long as you, you want to have a law firm, you're, probably, you're going to be able to keep doing that because you're setting up those boundaries to replenish and recharge um, you as a, as a human being. 
Yeah, I think, you know, for our own mental health, <laughs> sanity, and uh, if we are, um, you know, if we keep ourselves whole, I think we give our best to our clients. Mm -hmm. And that's what not everybody can see. I've had wonderful mentors along the way who are extremely successful, but also have no life. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if this is success, I don't want it. <laughs> right. So I'm trying to, I think that's, that's one way. Of course, I, I believe that changes. It's a very personal decision, but I'm trying to make those, you know, next step will be the vacation that your friend mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. I think that's very important as well. Mm -hmm. Right. No, I, I, and I think we, that, that's, that's an, it's a fascinating detail about mentors, right? Because there's a concept as anybody can teach me something, but also understanding not one person can teach me everything. Yeah. And this idea of when we have mentors in our lives, we, it's every part of their life is not to be imitated. Mm -hmm. But there are some parts of their life that are to be imitated. And knowing, having the, the, the discernment to know, hey, this is what I'm going to imitate from them. But I'm not going to imitate being a workaholic and not resting and not replenishing and not recharging. But I think that there's great discernment in that ability to see what to imitate and what not to. That's right. And, you know, in my experience, my my mentors have been so wonderful that they have even tell me, you know, do not imitate, do not do this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's also part of the mentorship, you know, what has worked for them and what hasn't. And for some people, they believe that it's too late for them to change, uh, you know, a lifetime of uh, workaholism or <laughs> habits. But they will tell you straight straight you know do not do not imitate this behavior just take some time take vacations or whatever it is mm -hmm. now in that space whether it came from a mentor or from someone else what has been the best advice you received about owning a law firm hmm. i think the best advice i received was set up all the systems from the get-go and that doesn't apply necessarily to being a law firm, but to being a business owner. Um, and, you know, the, the, and I think that has been a common advice across everybody <laughs> that I have encountered to. And I did, although I, I feel like it's a work in progress as well, because you start with a system and then you realize that you need something else and it evolves, it pivots along your business. But it has helped me keep myself and my business organized. Yes. And then the advice that I received was, you know, do not, some people just start with the bare minimum because they're focused on getting clients and they're just not focused on the proceedings and the, you know, and having methods or anything like that. And all of a sudden they get the client, the opportunity knocks on the door and they're not ready in terms mm -hmm. of like systems and how to implement, uh, how to run the business uh, aside from the legal profession per se. Yes. I love that. That is um, for our listeners, that's great insight. That's also found in the E-Myth by Michael E. Gerber, I believe is, is the name, but to, to have systems for everything. Because the, when you create systems, what you're doing is you're creating a standard process. Your mind doesn't have to memorize all of the systems all the way around. You have a, a, a system you use over and over again. And in, in fact, for all the podcast listeners who've been tuning in, when I set up a, a, a podcast interview with somebody like Ambar, I'm, I use a system. I, I ask people if they want a podcast, they say yes. I'll say I, I'll, I'll, I'll message you and I'll message them and, and I 
tell them a little bit and, and I copy and paste it from um, from my notepad. I copy and paste what the podcast is, how it works. I'll even send them some questions in advance so they know what kind of questions I, but I'll, I don't type those over and over again for every person I have on the show. It's a system. I copy and paste it over so I don't have to. Um, but anyway, I'm saying all of that um, podcast listeners, because in your world, even if you're not a business owner, but systems will help you reduce stress to add peace and actually even make you more effective. Even if you're, if you're somebody who loves uh, spontaneity, I actually love being spontaneous, but systems will, can even help you to be more effective and have more time to be spontaneous. Um, so don't, and I know some of you want to fight the systems and fight the methods that I'm about to just describe, but they will absolutely make your life better and easier. They will. And, you know, and, and if you either, if you, whether you own a business or you don't, um, they will help you grow. Mm -hmm. No, I feel like uh, no business starts big. We mm -hmm. all start small and we grow. And when the time comes, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to have, you want to be able to have a qualified team and to say, okay, these are the protocols. These are the systems in place. You just one, two, three, it's a method and it's easier for everybody to follow. Yes, it's easier for everybody to follow. That's right. And, and, and that's the concept is when you begin to grow and expand or the business phrase would be scale your business, then um, you already have the methods and procedures in place for people to know what excellence is and how to make it um, easy and effective for everyone. That's right. <laughs> now, if, if someone was listening to this podcast, and they were like, oh, like, I love what she's sharing. I love her, her perspective. They want to help you. What, what, what would they do to help you um, to support you in your law firm? So I think they, what they can do is just spread the word, spread the word and spread kindness. That's all I ask from everybody. And I feel, I strongly believe that that comes back around. Mm -hmm. so spread the word uh i'm sure uh all the audience will have my information as well if they want to contact me but um that's i think that's more than i can ask for any from anybody yes yes now remind them um where to find you i know so remind them some of your your handle information on instagram remind them um of your information so they could find you and know where you are um online Absolutely. So on Instagram, my handle is at Maceo Law. So it's very easy. It's M-A-C-E-O and the word law all together. Um, and from there, you will see my personal account. My, you know, I have a couple accounts with other business endeavors that you are free to follow <laughs> if you like. Uh, and my webpage is www.maceolaw.com. So they can find me here I'm in Massachusetts. And also the webpage has my email information, phone. So I'm available through all the means. <laughs> yes, I love that. Let's do our part podcast listeners to go follow her, connect with her, share her content and uh, do our part to uh, be a source of encouragement for what she's doing. Absolutely. And a source of questions because I'm here to serve as well. And if anybody has any questions, I'd be happy to answer uh, being as a po post or content or in person. Or, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Now, if, if somebody was listening to this episode, Ambar, and they said um, and they, could, they could potentially connect you with a perfect referral partner. Tell us about who that referral partner might be. Um, where would they be? And what does that partner do? Oh, that's a tough question. 
Mm, let me see. Referral partner. <laughs> so, you know, I think that referral partner would have to be a community organization that would be either uh, uh, from Latin origin or, you know, Hispanic community, minority oriented, um, and not because I feel like they have the most problems, but because it's a community that I am so happy and so eager to help. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what, you know, that could be anywhere in the world, but unfortunately I am limited by uh, my area of practice here in Massachusetts. So any uh, community organizations out there, um, I work specifically on the area of criminal defense. So any um, police, you know, organizations against police brutality or uh, prison rights, um, immigration rights, uh, all those kinds of organizations are uh, dear and near to my heart. And I feel like they would be terrific partners to have on. Mm, I love it. I love it. Okay. I love how crystal clear your vision is um, <laughs> for that, that that referral partner. I think the more I, I, I encourage people, I, I, I try to have a crystal clear vision of what I want. And I think that opens up the possibilities for me to find people just like that. That's right. So the final question of our podcast episode is, what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? Hmm. <laughs> well, I have, I, I, <laughs> I have a lot of favorite people, but I'm just going to circle back to the, my closest four, my, my fabulous four. It's my parents, my daughter, and my husband. <laughs> And I think we covered my parents already because they interject. So my my parents uh, are so kind, compassionate, so noble, and and they have lived a life of serving people. And I think that would be, you know, those are my favorite qualities of them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, their integrity is so hardworking. Um, in the case of my daughter, she's only three, but her curiosity, <laughs> uh, her her view to life, you know, it's always refreshing when you see life through a uh, young child's eyes. Mm -hmm. um, because when you are a child yourself, you're not necessarily cognizant of all of that. So I, I love that uh, curiosity. And I, I think of that as if it's coming from an adult, you know being inquisitive, asking questions. I love that. Um, and my husband's humor is something out of this world. So <laughs> putting up with me requires some sort of patience and, <laughs> and kindness as well. Yes, yes. Well, I love hearing what you love about the, the closest people of your fabulous four. So if your parents or your husband or even your daughter is able to listen to this part of the podcast, I want to just let them know outstanding job with the the impression and the impact you've made on Ambad. It's really encouraging to hear about. She's clearly glowing as she talks about you, you four. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing for me to be able to listen to her talk about you. Absolutely. So uh, Ambad, thank you so much once again for joining me on the Strong Life Coach podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful and I'm very happy to be here. All right. Well, podcast listeners, um, thank you for joining us on another episode. Let me remind you to go over to the Apple Podcasts app. Give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you.